Hi there. I'm Gabe Richards, and I serve right up back there on the soundboard. Today's scripture reading is from Matthew 3, 1 through 6. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. For he is the one spoken through the prophet Isaiah, who said, A voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John had camel hair garment and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then people from Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the vicinity of the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. This is God's word. Amen. Thank you. That's my son, by the way. That's my boy. One of my boys. The other two are back there. What makes a person great? What makes a person great? There are many individuals in history who have uh, been given that title, and there are many who have taken that title for themselves. Alexander the Great, Cyrus the Great of Persia, or Herod the Great of Judea, Akbar the Great of India, Catherine the Great of Russia. Conquerors, uniters, builders, usurpers, all the like. I asked uh, that question, what makes a person great, on, uh, to my Facebook friends. Uh, and some of the answers I got back were uh, their ability to impact those around them. Humility. Humility makes someone great. Their ability, quality, or eminence is considerably above average or normal. Someone copied and pasted a dictionary definition there, didn't they? (laughs) Then my uncle said, our choice of wife makes us great or not. Honesty or how they love others. What makes a person great? So let's see if we can answer that question today by the end. Uh, If you've been here for the last four weeks, then you'll notice something as we go into chapter three, and we only read the first six verses, it continues on. But in chapter three, or I guess in chapter two, you you remember Jesus was a toddler. He was about two two to four years old, and his family took off and headed for Egypt to escape the evil King Herod. And when Herod had passed away and died, right, they came back from exile, from being in Egypt, and they made their home in Nazareth. Now, at the beginning of chapter three, and having jumped forward, we, we jumped over all of Jesus' adolescence, all of his teenage years, when he likely got involved in his father's uh, carpentry business. We jumped over the birth of his brothers, or his, technically his half-brothers, because he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. We jumped over, most likely, the death of his father, Joseph, who will not appear in the narrative anymore. 
And in today's scripture, we are introduced to a man named John. Who was John? Now, Matthew doesn't give us many details about this man named John the Baptist. In fact, he just kind of shows up on the scene out of nowhere. And the scripture that we read, in those days, John the Baptist came. But the Gospel of Luke tells us that John was a son, the son of a small town priest named Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth. And John's birth was actually a miracle, uh, very much so uh, along the lines of how uh, the, the narrative kind of describes Jesus' miraculous birth, the foretelling of the angels, the fact that God had a plan and a mission, the naming of John, all included in that narrative. Because Zechariah and Elizabeth, they could not conceive a child. And an angel named Gabriel appears to them, appears to Zechariah, and says that in fact they will have a son in there to name him John. And he went on to say that John will be great in the sight of God and will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in the womb. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the disobedient to the understanding of the righteous to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. Um, something else is, is that Elizabeth, we find out in the, the Luke narrative, that Elizabeth was a relative of Mary, Jesus' mom. We find in Luke also that after Mary conceived Jesus by the Holy Spirit, she went and visited Elizabeth, who was already many months along in pregnancy. And when Mary entered the home, right, entered Zechariah and, and uh, Elizabeth's home, the baby inside of Elizabeth leaped with joy, it says, leaped with joy, being in the presence of Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Jesus having been conceived within Mary. That's most of the background we know of him. There's gaps. We don't know where, how he got where he was. But today we're gonna look at this man, John, under three points. And if you're taking notes, the three points are the preacher, the prophet, and the priest. The preacher, the prophet, and the priest. And we'll begin with the preacher. And actually, this picture here, if you can see it, this is the Judean wilderness. So this is where John was preaching out of this passage. The preacher in his land here. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. Something that stands out immediately is why is John in the wilderness? Why is he in this place? If you were here last week, that looks like Bakersfield. <laughs> kind of, sort of. Certain parts of Bakersfield. <laughs> but that's not the place where this dynamic rising preacher should be launching his ministry. That's not the place where the crowds you would think would gather. That's not the place of opportunity or audience. What if John were preaching in, say, like a big city like Jerusalem? He could have a following. He could have a crew. Why was John in the wilderness? 
And the reason is that John was in the wilderness because like many prophets before, his very life was an illustration of his message. His very life and livelihood illustrated the message that he was preaching. He was in the wilderness because he had separated himself from the corruption of Israel. He had separated himself from the center of power and the corruption that was going on in Jerusalem among the leaders, from the priesthood that no longer obeyed the law. He wouldn't share in its defilement. He wouldn't be seen associated with it, not even to shop for food or for clothing there. He would have none of it. He had come out and was separate from it. And we may see John's message as one of hope and good news. The kingdom of heaven has come near. But it was also one of judgment. It was also one of judgment. The kingdom that, is, he's, that his message is about, the kingdom of heaven, is the kingdom that is the reign and rule of God. The kingdom is the establishment of God's rightful sovereignty to do two things. Number one, to judge wickedness. God's rightful sovereignty to judge wickedness because he is perfect and holy. And number two, God's rightful sovereignty to offer salvation to anyone who would repent and believe. God has that right. He's the only one who's been offended against in our sin. Therefore, he's the only one with the right to offer forgiveness of sins. Ultimately, yes, we, we offend one another with our sins, right? But ultimately, all sin is against God. And so the kingdom as it's coming near, the kingdom of heaven that has come near uh, is, is God's rightful sovereignty to judge wickedness and to offer salvation to anyone who would repent and believe. And to repent is so much more than to say, I'm sorry. So much more. Repentance is more than just, oh, I did a bad thing and I'll stop doing it. Repentance is really about abandoning yourself. Abandoning yourself as demonstrated by your life reorienting itself around the kingdom and the king. Repentance is abandoning yourself demonstrated in the reorienting of your life around the king and the kingdom. Repentance is coming back to complete and utter dependence on God in everything. To not work for my own self-righteousness, but to rely completely upon God in utter dependence. And so that raises the question for us, have you oriented your life around comfort? Then the message for us today is repent. For both judgment and salvation are at hand, your choice. Have you oriented your life around your career? The opportunity is to repent. Repent and believe and reorient your life instead around God and his kingdom. For judgment or salvation is at hand. Your choice.
Have you oriented your life around family alone? Around your family, family first. Your invitation too is to repent for both judgment and salvation is at hand. What will it be? Because there is great danger of judgment if we orient our lives around anything other than the king and the kingdom. John is preaching that the kingdom of heaven has come near. Another way of saying is is that it's passing through or it's coming by. In fact, the the prophecy that's quoted from uh, Isaiah chapter 40 in in the passage that was read uh, gives a nod to something that would have been very common in their day and time. In the ancient world, they didn't have Caltrans. (laughs) Praise the Lord. (laughs) They didn't have Caltrans. There would have been well-worn paths that people would have traveled, but also kings and rulers and dignitaries would have also commissioned and built highways. They would have built highways. But those highways weren't just for everyone to use. They were for them to use. So they could get from one place to another. Imagine what it's like to ride on a donkey or a horse long distances, up and down, all around. It was important for the rulers to be able to travel safely or in relative safety at least and with as much comfort as possible. That's what their position bought them. But those roads that they built, that they commissioned, they wouldn't get regular maintenance. Again, no Caltrans there working on them all the time. Now, what would happen is anytime the ruler or the dignitary had plans to travel, I'm gonna go from here to there, they would send a team of heralds and a team of engineers to go ahead. And the engineers would repair the highway and remove any obstacles and fill any potholes that had developed since the last time the king came through. And the heralds would then go from town and village along the way and they'd let everyone know, hey, the king is coming pretty soon. Make preparations. Make sure everything is ready. Make sure that your city or your village is properly supplied. Make sure you've set aside any tribute that you want to offer to your king or or the dignitary as, as he passes through. Be ready. The king is coming. Your regular life and your schedule is interrupted. You need to accommodate the king, his kingdom and desires. And again, when it was time and the king set out on that journey, to cross the land, the heralds would again go before them and say, the king is coming, town by town, village by village, and they would call the people to abandon whatever they were doing at that time to come pay homage to the king. And so when the scripture says, a voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight his paths or Another way to say straight is level. Make level his paths. He's talking about this ancient idea of call the engineers and the heralds to go. The king is coming. And he's about to pass by. The king has come near. Have you abandoned your self-rule in order to make room for his rule in your life? Which brings us to point number two, the prophet. As we look at the life of John, we see that he is first the preacher with this message declaring to the world, but he's also the prophet. And when we hear the word prophet, we might immediately be tempted to think of you know, some fortune, future-telling type figure, someone who predicts the future. That, that's their job. 
But that actually wasn't the primary job of a prophet in the Old Testament, even though there were predictive elements to their prophecies. The prophets of the Old Testament were really actually more like lawyers. They were lawyers, lawyers of the law of God. And what they would do is they would build a case. If you read a lot of the prophecies, you'll see this. They would build a case, make a case for how the people had abandoned God and had disobeyed his word. And then they would declare whatever judgments that the law had already prescribed. The law already had blessings and cursings for obedience and disobedience. And they would just remind the people, you did all these things and therefore, for disobedience, this is the result of it. They would also remind the people of the blessings that would come through obedience to God's word and what it was like to live in submission to the reality of the reign of God. That was the job of the prophet. And so in verse four, we read that John had camel hair garment and a leather belt around his waist and his food was locusts and wild honey. And that may seem like an insignificant detail, but actually Matthew is wanting his readers, his, his good Bible students, to immediately see a connection between John and someone in the Old Testament. Someone in the Old Testament was described in the exact same way. Having a camel hair or a garment of hair and a leather belt around his, his waist. See, Matthew is describing of John's attire the same exact description as Elijah, the prophet. Elijah from 2 Kings chapter 1, verse 8. And if you remember what the angel said in Luke, that John will go before the Lord, John will go before the Lord God in the spirit and the power of Elijah. And Matthew is saying, see, He's like Elijah. And we see actually some, some promises and prophecies about this moment in the book of Malachi. Malachi is the last prophet in the Old Testament. It's the last book in the Old Testament. And it is the last written book of the Old Testament, chronologically. And in Matthew chapter, I mean, in Malachi chapter three, verse one, it says, see, I'm going to send my messenger and he will clear the way before me. Remember that imagery? He will clear the way. He will make straight the paths. Then the Lord you seek will suddenly come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant you delight in. See, he is coming. By this time, the glory of the Lord, according to Ezekiel and other prophets, the glory of the Lord, which first came when Solomon dedicated the temple and it came and inhabited the temple, and there was this massive amount of worship and sacrifice and honoring of God, by this time, the glory of the Lord had lifted up from the temple, according to the prophets, and had departed. It had left. The glory was no longer there. They were going through the motions of the sacrificial service for, for hundreds and hundreds of years, and no glory in the temple. No presence of God there. Just going on. Talk about religious exercise, right? <laughs> Hundreds of years just doing it, no glory. And then Malachi comes along in chapter three and says, I'm gonna send a messenger. He's gonna clear the way before me. Then the Lord you seek will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant you, you delight in. See, he is coming. 
in the final chapter of Malachi. There's only four chapters. The final chapter, the final verses of Malachi. These are the last words of the Old Testament before it closes up and 400 plus years of silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament where the word of the Lord does not come. There's no prophet to speak the word of the Lord. The final words of the Old Testament says, look, I am going to send you the prophet Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes, the day of judgment. And he will turn, the prophet will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. These, the final words. And after these words, the word of the Lord goes dark. He no longer speaks until the New Testament opens with the words that we've been studying in Matthew. And it begins, the New Testament, with the fulfillment of the last words of the Old Testament. A prophet like Elijah has come, John the Baptist. Elijah was a prophet who, in his day and time, he called on the people of Israel to turn away from their idol worship. See, at this point in time, there was still hope for the nation of Israel. They hadn't so sinned against God that they had been sent off into exile, right? There was still time, and Elijah was calling the people to leave their idol worship, leave anything that drew their affection and attention or reoriented their life around anything other than God himself. God be king. God be Lord of your life. And he was calling the people to that, leave that. And he took a stand even against the leaders like Ahab and Jezebel, the evil, wicked king and queen. Elijah came with great power to to Israel and he called Israel to repent and return in devotion back to God, to reconnect with the light and the life that is found in right relationship with God alone. We on this side of the cross have been given an interesting call, very similar to that of John the Baptist and and his activity as the prophet. The last prophet, actually. John, uh, many, most people, most scholars think of John as the last Old Testament prophet, even though he's not in the Old Testament. (laughs) Last one to come and herald the way for Christ and after Christ. We have Christ. (laughs) We have his word and we have the Holy Spirit. And Paul writing after that point in 2 Corinthians chapter five, he says to you and I today, to each one of us in the room who has put their faith in Christ, he says, God who was reconciling us to himself through Christ, through Christ's mission on this earth, has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their transgressions against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ since God is making his appeal through us. Like the prophet, right? Like the prophet John who's in the wilderness, who's declaring, hey, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near We too have been given a message to declare in the wilderness. 
We too have been given a ministry like John was given a ministry to stand and to, to be heralds for Christ and to say, hey, be reconciled to God. God is no longer counting sins against man. Through repentance and faith, you can come near and receive forgiveness in Christ. And so we too have been given that prophetic ministry of declaring God's truth and word to the world in the wilderness. Sometimes it feels like we're in the wilderness too. John felt that way too. Camel hair and and honey and locust and all, right? In the wilderness, shouting at the top of his lungs the message that God had given him. And we can feel that same way too. But that doesn't mean that we shirk on our responsibility. We receive this, this ministry of reconciliation for God loves the world that he sent his son that we might declare this message to the whole world and carry on the ministry of declaration and, and, and proclamation. And, and really prophetic really just means speaking God's word or declaring God's word. Sometimes God would speak to the prophets and tell them what was going to happen and they would say it. That's what the prophets did. They didn't come up with the prophecy. It was just speaking what God had spoken. And we today can do the same thing anytime we declare the, the gospel truth or we read the word of God. The final point is the priest. John the priest Verse five and six of our scripture this morning. Then people from Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the vicinity of the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. Now, even though John was in the wilderness of Judea, word had spread. It did spread, and people began to come. And there was clearly a spiritual hunger for the word of the Lord, After a 400-year drought, the word of the Lord showed up on the scene in John, and people began to hear and were coming. But John, John who was born actually into the priestly line through his parents, he was born to be a priest who served in the temple, the temple that had no glory. He was born to serve there, but he was not at the temple performing the regular duties of a priest, was he? He was not participating in the sacrificial system, was he? And yet he was still receiving word from the Lord out there and still calling people to repentance. Even out there in the wilderness, John was acting in a priestly manner. And we can see that in those two verses. He is baptizing people as a sign of their repentance. And baptism was not foreign to the people of Israel at this time. It wasn't foreign. What was foreign, though, was that Jews didn't get baptized. Jews didn't baptize. And they certainly didn't baptize one another. The people who got baptized were Gentiles who wanted to convert to Judaism, and they had to go through a ritual cleansing in the water, but they had to self-administer it, like baptize themselves, right? This idea that John is out there and he's baptizing, and Jews are coming to be baptized, well, that, that's just outlandish. That's, that is unthinkable that the chosen of people of God would need to be clean. And yet people are so hungry for the Lord and the word of the Lord that they're coming and they're responding to the message, Jews who are being baptized. And John's baptism is different also because he's in the water with them. He's in the water with them. He's putting his hands on them and helping them participate in this act of baptism. 
He's declaring the word of the Lord to them. He's witnessing their repentance and he's helping them through confession with baptism. He is playing the part of a priest. He's mediating between God and man on behalf of these people. And I find this scripture in Romans just so amazing. Uh, Paul, he's writing about his ministry to the Gentile believers. So if you remember, Paul has gone out and he's begun to minister the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. It actually went beyond just the Jews. The Jews weren't just a special people that were God's chosen people and no one else can know the word or hear the word or respond to it. Paul recognized through the power of the Holy Spirit that he could go and preach this gospel and the Gentiles were responding. And at the end of the book of Romans, when he's writing about this ministry that he has to the Gentile uh, people who are coming and believing in Christ, he says this in, in chapter 15, verse 15 through 16 of Romans. He says, nevertheless, I have written to you to remind you more boldly on some points because of the grace given to me by God. The grace given to me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. And listen to what he says here. Serving as a priest of the gospel of God. God's purpose is that the Gentiles may be an acceptable offering sanctified by the Holy Spirit. See, Paul is using the sacrificial language of the temple But he's not using it in regard to the temple. He's using it in regard to the salvation of souls of the Gentile people. And he's saying he's like a priest who's acting as a mediator with this gospel message that he can bring to the Gentile people. And when they respond, they're like an offering on the the altar, an acceptable offering to God. The beauty of that, that he is like a priest who gets the opportunity to go and mediate, to be the go-between to bring the word of God so that once they are connected, once they're in relationship with God, I'm not in any way saying that you need a priest to mediate between you and God, but you need the word of God. (laughs) And the priestly function of the believers now, and maybe you guys don't know this, but in the book of Revelation, we are told that the Christian church, we all, we are a kingdom of priests. Every one of you is a priest in the house of God. Every one of you is to serve God. Every one of you is to orient your life, your entire life, around the service of God. That is not a special profession saved for people who stand up here. That is the call, that's the invitation to every single believer to be a kingdom of priests to serve our God, to orient our entire lives around service to God, to to orient our entire schedule around service unto God, to orient our whole being. We could go down the list of what that makes up. To be gospel witnesses in order that some might believe and become to God like an acceptable sacrifice. In the beginning, I asked the question, I started with, what makes a person great, right? And we've looked at the life of John under the three headings. He, is, he was the preacher. He was a pro, the prophet that was expected. And he was the priest who were helping to connect people to God through the message that God had given him. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And my hope was that with each one of those headings, you could see that there's something that relates to us, something that's applicable to us, that there is a message for us to preach, right? 
As the prophet, there is, as, uh, there's a time for us to go out and declare the truth and, and help to connect people to the word of God and as a priest to be there with them on the ground. As Paul was in all of his writings, you read enough of his and you'll see that that man was in the trenches. He was in the water with people. Their dirt was coming off them and hitting him. <laughs> right? All so that he might save one more soul as an acceptable offering to the Lord. What makes a, a person great? Well, in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus tells a crowd of people about a man named John the Baptist. John, Matthew tells this crowd of people about this man named John the Baptist, and he says, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swaying in the wind? What then did you go out to see? Did you go out to see a man dressed in soft clothes? See, those who wear soft clothes, they're in royal palaces. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it was written. See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way before you. And then Jesus says this. Matthew eleven eleven, truly I tell you, among those born of women, no one greater than John the Baptist has appeared, but the least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. John was great, greater than Moses. Greater than Abraham, greater than David, greater than all men born of woman up until his point. John was great. John earned the title, John the Great. <laughs> he didn't take the title, but he earned it. John was great because he lived to point to Jesus. John was great because he lived to point to the Christ. He got to speak the word of the Lord and he got to call people to repent and believe. John got to see with his own eyes the coming of the Messiah, Christ Jesus. But John, John didn't live to see the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He didn't get to see that. He didn't live long enough to know the whole gospel. But we do. We know it. Even the least in the kingdom is greater than he. If John could devote his whole purpose and orient his entire life around pointing others to Christ, can we who know the whole plan of God's redemptive power, can we do any less? Will you pray with me? Father, I come to you and I thank you for your word. I thank you that it is light and life to us. We thank you, Lord, for the power of the Holy Spirit 
to minister to us each where we're at, to help to lead and train and teach us, Lord, to help to lead us to repentance and faith wherever we may be at this moment, whether we have known you for many years or we are coming to know you even today, that you can lead us to that place, Lord. You know our hearts. And Lord, I pray that we who have been given so great a message to preach, so great a message to declare, I pray that we would not drop the ball, Lord. We would not miss the opportunity. But Lord, like John, we would reorient our life around the glory and goodness of our God as seen in Jesus Christ. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen.